Hello listeners and welcome to the second podcast tackling issues around health inequalities. My name is Oluwashen Anyam, Sean for short, and I am one of the regional representatives of the RCP Trainees Committee. Today we'll be discussing something very close to my heart, so close in fact that I am currently studying a PhD in the topic and I've decided to dedicate my entire career to it. This is of course a subject of overweight and obesity and I'm honoured to be joined by a person who has worked in this field for many years and is widely renowned in it. John Wilding is a Professor of Medicine at the University of Liverpool, a specialist in obesity, diabetes and endocrinology at Aintree University Hospital, and is the current President of the World Obesity Federation. He has published numerous papers around the topic of obesity and has sat on multiple committees shaping the medical response to the growing issue this has become. Welcome, John. Hello, and nice to speak to you, Sean. Um, thanks so much for agreeing to discuss this with me today. Um, I'm really looking forward to picking some aspects of this rather complicated but important issue with you. So, so yeah, welcome. Now, this podcast is actually a rather timely one, as its release will coincide with World Obesity Day, which is on Thursday the 4th of March this year. Mark the date, everybody. But on top of this, obesity has become a rather topical issue in recent times. Because despite the recent dominance of COVID-19 above everything else, obesity has still managed to grab the headlines occasionally over the last 12 months for a number of reasons. Firstly, it has now become widely accepted that overweight and obesity are key risk factors for worse outcomes from COVID-19 infection. A Public Health England report back in July stated that people with a BMI above 25 were at greater risk of severe COVID-19 infection, hospitalisation and even death with the risk increasing further as BMI increases. Now, this is incredibly concerning, considering that nearly two-thirds of people in this country fall into that category, a figure which is as high as 80% in men aged between 55 to 64. 80%. And this figure is only set to rise further, with some projections suggesting um, that up to 90% of all UK adults will be overweight by 2050. That's 90% of all UK adults by 2050. Now, that's very scary for me particularly, because in 2050, I myself will be within that 55 to 64 age bracket just. Now, it's these kinds of statistics that have led to the emergence of terms such as obesity pandemic or obesity crisis, and it's forcing governments around the globe to take this issue seriously. You may remember that back in July 2020, the UK government released its Tackling Obesity Strategy. This was quite significant for me because this was finalised and released mid-pandemic when almost everything else had been pushed aside, suggesting to me how seriously the government is taking this issue. Now, there are a plethora of interventions available for treating overweight and obesity, with, with good evidence behind them, actually. And research is still going into refining these interventions. I'm involved in some of it, in fact. But one thing to highlight is this. A lot of these interventions have existed for years, yet rates of overweight and obesity just keep on rising. So is there something we're missing? As healthcare workers, are we contributing to this problem? Well, surprisingly, the answer is probably yes. There are a multitude of studies reporting negative attitudes among doctors, nurses, even students towards patients that are overweight or living with obesity. And there is evidence that these attitudes actually affect the care that patients receive. For example, overweight patients are reportedly less likely to be referred for specialist care, less likely to receive investigations, 
They're even potentially inappropriately denied treatment for their obesity, with one study stating that less than 25 of GP samples were willing to refer patients for bariatric surgery, even though they meet the criteria. Now, I must stress this is only one study, and there are others that report higher willingness to refer. But, but there is an issue there. And I guess this all feeds into other issues, um, such as health inequalities, as rates of obesity are higher among those living in um, lower east socioeconomic areas. As healthcare professionals, we have a pivotal role in helping to tackle this issue and ultimately guiding all our patients to better health. But with these types of attitudes so rife among us, and society in general, I find myself asking, are these initiatives doomed to failure right from the outset? So, so John, um, you and many other experts in this field argue that changing our attitudes towards these patients is critical to starting to reverse the upwards trends in obesity rates. I'm really keen to hear your thoughts on obesity stigma, but before we go into this, I think it's worth providing our listeners with some context. So um, can I start by asking you, um, what is the latest science around the physiological and or genetic factors that cause or predispose to obesity? Uh, thank, thanks, Sean. That's a great question and a really good place to start. I, I think one of the things that perhaps people have, have, have not fully recognized, although the research is now showing this very strongly, is that genetic factors are actually really quite important in determining our risk of developing obesity. Now, that doesn't mean to say that all the, the change that we've seen in, in the prevalence of obesity over the last 30 years is due to a change in our genes, because it's clear that, of course, our genes haven't changed in 30 years, and it's the environment that's changed. But what genetics do is, is if you like, uh, set, the, set the scene for an individual uh, to be more prone to developing uh, obesity. Um, we can look at this in a number of ways. We know that from twin studies, for example, that the body weight is probably inherited somewhere between sort of 60, 70, 80 percent uh, of body weight is, is, is inherited. But it's sometimes better to think about this from, if we look at extreme examples. So there are some rare single gene disorders that cause severe obesity. And there's no question that in those individuals, the obesity is a result of uh, a pure genetic problem and probably the best known example of that is is leptin deficiency where your body doesn't make enough of this hormone from fat called leptin uh, and if you don't make that hormone your body never feels full uh, you feel hungry all the time and those uh, children with that condition end up with very severe obesity that can be treated uh, with uh, with leptin unfortunately that doesn't work for most people with obesity so that's, that's, that's sort of an extreme example that shows that genetics can determine our body weight. But actually, if you, we know that there are probably several hundred genes that contribute to body weight. Uh, and we know that the more of the genes that tend to lead to a higher body weight you have, the higher your risk of developing obesity in the current environment. And conversely, if you happen to have a very low number of obesity genes, you're more likely to be slim. So genetics really does uh, set the scene uh, for the risk for obesity. Well, thanks very much for that. I mean, I didn't know that 60 to 80 percent of weight is inherited. Um, and also, you know, what you said about uh, there being hundreds of genes that are implicated. Um, I think a lot of people will be surprised about just how much genetics there are, there's involved in um, 
contributing to weight gain. Um, what, what about um, this term of obesogenic environments? I mean, I've heard this mentioned at talks and seen it written in papers. Um, could, could you explain to our listeners why this is so relevant? Yes, of course. And as, as I said uh, at the beginning, uh, it's very clear that the change that we've seen in obesity rates in the population. Uh, you know, I started I studied medicine in the, in the 1980s. And at that time, the prevalence of obesity defined as a body mass index over 30 was about six or seven percent in the UK population. It's now approaching 30 percent. Wow. Uh, so yeah. that 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 has happened because of environmental change, and the uh, and the, the, the if you like the the obesogenic environment is is probably a combination of of two sort of major factors. The first and probably the most important one relates to uh, food, uh, and that is the fact that the food that is currently uh, made available to us is really good. It's very easily available. Um, uh, the high energy food is is relatively uh, cheap, uh, and therefore uh, people uh, are more likely to consume it. That's you know, if you like, I, I sometimes think of um, what's happened in, in society is that food companies want to sell more food. How do they sell more food? They do that by making it tasty. They make they they do marketing studies that say you know, do you like the taste of this? And that's pushed us more and more towards sweet. Uh, high-fat foods uh, that we, we we as humans really like to eat because we've been programmed genetically to like that sort of stuff, um, and and that means that uh, it overrides our body's natural satiety systems, which, as I'll come to in a minute, are partly genetically determined, uh, and therefore, as a population, we've we've just all got got fatter over time. Uh, the second part relates to the. In the physical activity environment, uh, and if we think back to the sort of 1950s and 1960s, very few people had cars. Most people walked uh, everywhere or cycled everywhere, and th the prevalence of obesity was much lower. We've become much more dependent upon uh, mechanised transport. Our jobs have become much more sedentary, and all of those things have also contributed to to the rise in in obesity. If we then start to think a little bit about how that, particularly thinking about the food side of things, how that interacts with, with the genetics, what we do know is that most of those genes that determine the risk of obesity are perhaps surprisingly expressed in the brain. Um, and the brain's really, really important in regulating our appetite. And so what the the, the, the high energy foods are able to do is override our body's natural satiety systems uh, and therefore our brain is just basically fooled into into eating more than than, than our body physiologically needs yeah, i mean I'm, I'm really glad you make the point about high energy food and i think it's, it's it's incredible what you say that food is actually designed to override our natural society um centers in our brain um, and I find that absolutely fascinating because it almost suggests that this is this is kind of um, a, uh, a a conscious decision made by the producers of the food, and and you can kind of see points you made about how 
available, easily available this type of food is. You can see it's everywhere you go. There's such a surplus of cheap foods everywhere. Um, and as you said, the marketing is incredibly effective. I mean, do you think um, do you think food companies share some responsibility in in the situation we find ourselves in at the moment? I think you're probably right that the food companies do share responsibility. I don't think they did this intentionally. I think they did it because they thought this is a great way of, you know, selling more of our product and, you know, trying to, as as all industry does in, in, in a sort of in, in modern society is to try and, you know, the, the, the companies that want to do best are the ones that sell the more product. So, you know, let's let's make the stuff that people like to eat. And, and of course, that's hugely successful for the companies. But the unintended consequence of that has been a rise in obesity. And now we've recognized that absolutely those companies have a responsibility to help us do something about it. Unfortunately, I think in a market economy, it's probably not going to be possible to do that fully voluntarily. And as we've seen, uh, legislation to start to regulate that, you know, taxes pushing down sugar content of foods, as an example, is 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 one way uh, of actually starting to solve the problem. I think at the moment we've only touched the surface. I think there's a lot more to do in that area, but at least we have seen some moves in the right direction. Hmm. And, and going back to what you mentioned about how the food um, interacts with the brain and the satiety centers within the brain, um, could, could you expand about that a, a bit more? Yes, yes, absolutely. Because one of the, the common arguments that we hear from from people is that, well, why don't you know, if, if you have if you recognize that you have a, a, a that you're worried about your weight, why don't you just eat less and move more and the problem will go away? <laughs> mm, yeah. the, trouble, the trouble, the trouble is, is that the, the, the body systems are actually, you know, very, very, very powerful. So and there is research that shows this. So an, an example of one of these studies is, is a study that a few years ago that was published in, in the New England Journal of Medicine. Um, and basically what they, they did was they took uh, some people and who, who, who were overweight or obese and they put them on a very low energy diet for a few weeks, you know, less than 800 calories a day. So everybody would lose weight on that diet. And these people did. They lost like you know, two stone, 12 kilograms in, in wow. weight over, over a period okay. of, a, of a couple of months, which is mm. which is fantastic. Um, and then they continued to get, they were allowed to go back to, to normal food after having this liquid diet for, for, for eight weeks. Um, and then um, th they were continued to get advice about from dietitians about keeping their intake down. But what we saw, as is anybody who's tried to lose weight will recognize, is the weight gradually went back on. During this study, they, they were brought into the research center from, from time to time, and a lot of quite complex tests were done. Um, what they did was measure the hormones from the intestine and the hormones like leptin. And what we found was that uh, what was found was that people, um, when they when they lost the weight, uh, some of the hormones that tell people that they're full went 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 down. The the hunger hormone called ghrelin went up. Leptin goes down, and all of those signals are telling the brain, "You're starving. You need to eat more." So people felt hungrier, and we they were asked in the study, "You know, do you feel hungry?" And people did feel hungry, even though they regained more than half their body weight over the subsequent year after that that study. 
even a year later when they when they regained half the weight those hunger hormones were still high the satiety hormones were still low the leptin hormone was still low and people still felt hungry and if they'd carried on the study they would have probably felt like that until they got back to their previous weight so our body is kind of fighting uh, that weight loss all the time and other studies have actually also shown that your metabolic rate slows down so that your energy uh, requirements actually fall you know the body's trying to conserve its energy so all of this tends to push you back towards you, your previous weight and of course the people who have the uh, genetic variants in all of these complex signaling molecules in the brain that respond to these hormones um, the ones that have the, the genes that tend to predispose to, to, to obesity are the ones that find it hardest uh, to keep the weight off under those sorts of dieting circumstances. So that's why wow. you know, dieting on its own often fails. I guess what, what I don't understand is why why is there so much stigma um, about overweight and obesity? I mean, I mentioned earlier some stats about attitudes among mm. professionals, but, but these views are, are, are widely held in society. Um, you know, there's studies that suggest well, – Report that people with overweight or obesity are, are um, be lazier, less successful, less economically productive. I mean, the, the evidence for these biological and environmental factors is there and it's clear. So, so why do you think these these attitudes um, exist? I think that's a really interesting question, and I think it's partly because of of, of a long-held sort of misunderstanding uh, uh, about this. I mean, obesity. You know, unlike, you know, let's say a condition like asthma or diabetes is firstly, it's very visible. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, you know, society has over many years it, it, it developed attitudes uh, that, that have become really quite embedded in, in, our, in our thinking. Um, and if you think back to, uh, you know, even stories that you might have read as a child, um, you know, the, 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 and I, to use the sort of, perjurative term that I would never use in the real world would be the sort of fat lazy child is yeah. is, is, is very much a, a uh, uh, something that is that is kind of been recognized in in literature for, for a very long time so so these things are really kind of embedded in in society and in our culture I mean yeah it's it's, it's, it's interesting you make the point about um, what people say the terms they use because I've, I've made in this even now, I'm making a deliberate effort um, to avoid terms. I mean, I mentioned them earlier as kind of terms that are being used, but terms like obesity pandemic, obesity problem, even obese people, you know, those terms, I mean, what, what do you think about those terms? Is, do you think they're harmful and do you think it's important to be aware of using those kind of terms? I think it's really important that we use the same sort of language for people living with obesity as we would for people with any other uh, medical <clears throat> disease or condition, uh, and and that we shouldn't be using perjurative terms. Uh, unfortunately, the literature is is very full of of this, uh, and and the 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 media uh, has has a part to play as well in the way that it portrays uh, people uh, with with obesity. Uh, and I think it's going to take quite a long time to change hearts and minds in, in this direction. But part of that is is the scientific explanation that that it isn't any different from other diseases in that respect. What are, uh, in your experience, what's what are the effects of these kind of attitudes, be it from the media, from 
our colleagues, or just generally in society. What are, you, what are the effects of these attitudes on the treatment of people living with overweight and obesity? I think the, the, the difficulty that, that we have there is that it actually um, means that people who really do need medical support actually sometimes are reluctant to seek it. Uh, we know that from some studies uh, that, that have been done uh, both with healthcare professionals and in people with obesity, asking them about you know previous attempts to lose weight, whether they felt comfortable with discussing it with their with their doctor, for example. Uh, and what we find is that people with obesity will often struggle with their weight for many, many years, five yeah. years, before they're actually summon up the courage to go and talk to somebody about it. Uh, and, and, and of course, in that time, they may well start to develop complications of obesity, such as diabetes or heart disease. Uh, and that, of course, then makes the, 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 the disease itself more difficult to treat because it's now complicated obesity rather than obesity without complications. We, obviously, this uh, series is mainly based on inequality. How, how do you think that this, this subject of obesity stigma leads to inequality in the management of obesity. I mean, could you give any real-life examples? Yes, I think inequality uh, affects obesity in, in, in many ways. I mean, certainly there is no doubt if you, look at, if you look at obesity prevalence in the UK or in any other country, there is a social class gradient. So people who are uh, in poorer communities are more likely to be uh, living with obesity. Um, and part of that is because of the way the food industry uh, works and, and, and the fact that uh, it is more difficult to eat a, a very healthy diet on a low income. And in fact, it's yeah. much easier to get, um, you know, high calorie, high energy dense foods, which are relatively low in nutritional quality uh, in those communities. Uh, and, and again, also, there's a lot of other societal factors that, that probably uh, contribute to that. So certainly uh, inequality, you know, starts right from the, the, the prevalence of obesity. Uh, and then when it comes to, to treatment, uh, you know, if we think about the UK, there is there is a, a, a very wide amount of variation across the country in the availability of, of, of services to treat people, particularly uh, for people with, with severe obesity. Uh, that's not necessarily completely uh, linked to uh, to uh, social class, if you like, or, 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 or inequalities in, in wealth. In other words, there are services in, in, in poorer communities. And for example, in our, our service in, in, in Liverpool, uh, we, we know that about 70 to 80 percent of the people attending our services um, are, are from the uh, most deprived quintile of, of, of our community. So there is no question that those people have access to the services. And when they access the services, um, they lose as much weight uh, in treatment as, as people uh, who, who, are, who are wealthier. But what we do okay. know is that they, they find it harder to engage with the services because it requires quite a lot of time commitment to um, you know, get all the, to, to get all the dietary and psychological and physical activity advice. And so these, uh, the problem is, is that people are more likely to drop out of treatment. And that's something that we are trying to address, but I don't have a simple solution to that one. 
so so in a way the fact that you know, people living with overweight or obesity are more likely to live in more economically deprived areas mean they they're ending up in a sort of a double whammy situation of of interacting factors that that actually contributes to greater inequality i guess and worse outcomes do, do you agree yeah, absolutely, and it becomes a, a kind of uh, a bit of a spiral of of, of, uh, of problems. So, of course, uh, we know, uh, as we discuss, as you mentioned earlier, that people with obesity, you know, if you put two people with equal qualifications for a job interview, and one of the people is is living with with obesity, uh, you can be sure that probability-wise, the person with 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 obesity is less likely to get that job than than someone who is who is who is not obese. So that kind of drives that that part is part of the, the problem. Um, and then, of course, people with obesity then develop complications to their obesity, like diabetes and arthritis, which can limit their ability to 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 do some jobs. Um, and that, of course, has has a further downward economic uh, stressor. So all of these things tend to create a bit of a vicious cycle. Uh, which which is really quite profound, and, and certainly in in the clinics that we run for people with severe obesity with a body mass index over forty, that is a very common scenario. So, so John, I'm, I guess I find myself asking, what what is the solution to all of this? I mean, you've just mentioned that you know the fact that someone with living with obesity is less likely to be chosen for a job even though they have equivalent qualifications. Um, we've mentioned a lot of other you know, biases that exist. I mean, these opinions um, and attitudes seem to be entrenched within society. So what can we as healthcare professionals do to start to change these attitudes and, and stop this inequality um, from happening? Well, I think one of the things we can do is the sort of thing we're doing now, which is discuss this and discuss the science and, and try and help uh, people understand a little bit more about obesity and the fact that it is not just uh, a failure of personal responsibility. Uh, and of course, the media can help us with that. You know, again, the media, you know, we, we often see them as villains in the piece, but they can actually uh, support us. And, and, you know, there's more and more uh, journalists that I speak to who are, who are beginning to understand this, and 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 I think that will that will certainly help. Uh, I think from a a government perspective, it's really important that the messaging that comes out uh, from government removes that that blame. Now, the blame doesn't mean to say that people with obesity don't have responsibility. Um, much in the same way, I, I like to use the analogy of of people, and you're an endocrinologist like I am, people with type 1 diabetes. Um, it's not their fault they've got their disease. Uh, it's a, it's a, we don't fully understand, but it's a combination of genetics and environment, which means your pancreas doesn't make insulin. You have to take injections every day. But if you don't take your injections every day, you're going to get sick, and that is inevitable. So people with diabetes have to take an, a certain amount of responsibility uh, to look after themselves, and, and I think that the same is 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 going to be true always for people with with, with obesity. Uh, that doesn't, but it, but it, but it's not. But that's very different from blaming them for the, for their condition. And of course, we as 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 physicians can support them. Uh, you know, firstly by giving high quality professional support around 
diet and, and physical activity. Sometimes uh, we may need to consider medical treatments such as drugs, and sometimes for some people, uh, bariatric surgery is, is actually the best solution for them. And one of the things that we, we have seen, if you look at the outcomes from trials where people have successfully lost weight, whether that be through dietary support or, or, or medicines or, or, or bariatric surgery, one of the things we see is that if people are able to, to lose weight, firstly, they're less likely to get some of the complications of obesity like diabetes, um, but also their quality of life improves uh, and, and their health improves generally. Um, and, and that can make a, a big difference and, and actually start to reverse some of that that uh, spiral that I, that I talked about earlier. Yeah, and do you, do you think um, do you think the government strategy that was released last year? Do you think it does kind of remove the blame? I start to um, put out a, a different narrative to the conversation about dealing with obesity. I think certainly it's a step in the right direction. I, I, I'm very sure that there will be pushback from the food industry, particularly <laughs> where taxes and so on are concerned. One of the things that you know I have suggested is that, in fact, this because it's multi-sectoral and really complex, probably what needs to happen within within government is that um, almost every you know, whether, whether they're looking at a, a transport policy or whether they're looking at a planning application or whether they're looking at many other aspects of, of government policy around ag agriculture and so on, they need to be asking the question, what, which, which direction is this going to push the obesity uh, in, 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 the, in the population? If it's pushing it in the right direction, i.e. downwards, then that's going to be a posit positive policy that we should support. If it's going to push it in the opposite direction, uh, then maybe they should think twice about that policy and think how it could be adapted. Uh, but it also almost needs to be asked every time uh, in, in, in these broad areas of, of food and, 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 and transport and, and the built environment, which are you know a, a large chunk of government policy uh, and work. Uh, if, if they think about the impact on obesity, can can we can, will this will this policy push it in the right direction? I think that would be a really good start. Mm -hmm. And I think I mean you touched upon this earlier, but ultimately it probably comes down to us uh, to a large degree um, in our position as healthcare professionals, um, and in particular educating ourselves, understanding the the physiology, the environmental factors, the genetic factors behind it. Um, and then, and then educating others, in particular the media, politicians, but just society in general. I, mean, I know when I started doing research into treatments for obesity a few years back, um, and I, I started learning about obesity as a condition, I, I became so much more aware of the misconceptions that that exist in society, um, and and the harmful effects these can have as well. Um, so. Do you have any resources you can recommend uh, to our listeners uh, so that they can um, access them and learn more about this? Um, I think particularly for maybe some of our more potentially cynical listeners um, who may well be slightly sceptical about some of the things we've discussed today. Yes, well, there are a number of organisations that uh, work uh, uh, in, in the area of obesity. In, in the UK, we have the Association for the Study of Obesity, which is a, a, a largely a professional organization, but it does also have, 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 have uh, lay, lay members. 
uh, and that has a lot of a wealth of information uh, on their website. Uh, World Obesity Federation, which I'm currently the, the, the president of, also has, has a lot of information, particularly about obesity stigma and explaining uh, some of these uh, uh, factors that, that we've talked about. Um, th there are a lot of obviously scientific, good quality scientific publications that, that, are, that are there for, for perhaps more for the uh, medical audience uh, around, around obesity, you know, good, good papers published in, in some excellent journals that uh, describe this physiology in, 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 in great, in much more detail than we can talk about on a podcast. Yes. Uh, and I would, I would certainly recommend for, for interested people to, to look, at, look up that, that sort of literature. Um, and there are, there are also now an increasing number of, 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 of patient groups, so people living with obesity, uh, working together to try and, and, and uh, help change this, this, this narrative. Uh, and uh, there is an organization called Obesity UK, um, and there are European uh, associations uh, for the study of obesity, and, and there is a, a European patient group as well, uh, which, which are highly active and, and can be a great resource, uh, and particularly if there's people living with obesity who, who are looking for, for, for support, some of these uh, patient groups are, can be very helpful. Well, thanks. Thanks for those suggestions. Um, I think that's been a really nice overview of really quite an important topic. Um, so, yeah, John, thank you so, so much for joining me and creating this podcast. Um, I'm sure you're very busy at the moment, um, especially with World Obesity Day coming up. So I'm, I'm particularly honoured that you've made um, time specifically uh, to come and do this with me. Thanks very much, Sean. It's been, it's been great to uh, talk to you and, and actually to be able to hopefully get some of these really important messages across uh, to physicians uh, and uh, I hope to the wider community. And thanks to everybody for, for listening to us. Mm, and yeah, um, I agree with that. Thank you very much to all of our listeners um, for taking time out of your schedules as well uh, to explore this important topic. Um, please look out for more podcasts on health inequalities. Please, please do try to challenge your own preconceptions whenever seeing people living with overweight and obesity. Um, if you want to know more, uh, the links to the resources that John has suggested will be available to you uh, for you to have a look at in your spare time. Um, enjoy the rest of your day. Bye.